Welcome to the I Believe Podcast, an Acure Insight production, brought to you by Castle Biosciences. I'm your host, Danae Peterson, a fellow ocular melanoma survivor. Here on the podcast, we'll be sharing information and insights on treatments, research, and living with ocular melanoma. Castle Biosciences is a proud sponsor of this I Believe podcast. Castle Biosciences tests are designed to provide clinicians precise and personalized tumor information for the benefit of patient care. If you would like more information about how Castle is transforming the treatment of eye cancer, visit castletestinfo.com. Anne is an author who grew up in the shadows of ocular melanoma when her mother died of ocular melanoma. Uh, Forty years later, she also was diagnosed with ocular melanoma class 2, and she spent her career in um, human services, and she actually trained as a psychotherapist. Her specialties include initially a a children's therapist who specialized in impacting the ability to learn and education, and she's currently a retired marriage and family therapist. Simultaneously, she began leading an emergency team for law enforcement and fire personnel over three decades. When bad things happen to them, we go in. She currently manages her stress with long distances uh, in running and cycling, though now as a master gardener, much of her time is spent in nature. Her passions outside of... um, Family and friends include travel, writing, and being of service. And just to kind of let you guys know, her book, Coping with Ocular Melanoma, A Toolbox, is published and available for purchase at our store outside, and all proceeds from her book go directly to patient care. So, Anne, thank you for being here to help us work through the process of being in the waiting room. Thank you. Do I need this as well as my... Oh, I do. Okay. Thank you. Oh, perfect. Okay. So I'm so glad to see everybody also had papers in their hand because that's what I'm doing, especially at my age. So uh, what I wanted to talk about today, I've I've told several of you that I kind of keep a pulse point on the uh, Facebook groups. And one of the questions that keeps coming up is how to be able to manage stress while we're waiting for the return on a scan, on a biopsy, on a clinical trial, whether we got in or we didn't get in. So there's a lot of energy that we can utilize in other kinds of ways. I wish I knew I was going to use this. So thank you to all the people in Zoom land. Um, It's good to see everybody that I talked to last night. Um, I heard lots of stories about all the efforts to get here. So I'm grateful that all of us were able to get here, that we have our luggage, that we have a plane to go home maybe, or a car or train or whatever. Um, So how many of you heard me speak in other conferences? Wow. No. One? Wow, I'm very surprised. How many people have uh, in in this room have heard me speak in other conferences? Perfect, thank you. The reason I ask is because I've done a lot of groundwork. So this is like the eighth conference I've been at. And so I've done a lot of groundwork around how to be able to physiologically manage our feelings. Um, So I'll go over two very quickly because they're tricks that you've got to practice 
on an ongoing basis. And I've presented this information to lots of people, and most of us think, oh, I don't need to really do that. It's kind of silly. But for me, sitting down in the medical room when I'm waiting for a biopsy, and I want the doctor to be able to tell me, I need to have my frontal lobes online to be able to think and feel at the same time. If I'm not doing what I need to do to calm myself down, then I won't be able to hear the results and what the doctor has to say. So I'm kind of motivated for that. So the easiest trick that was not in my planned organization here, the easiest one is in my shoes, if I have my toes, you know, you know how the cat kind of needs your carpet? This is what we do inside of our shoes. Nobody can see it, so you do the left foot, then you do the right foot, and back and forth. And what that does is it pulls the frontal lobes online so that you can stay in the room and not be spacey like I get. So, um, oh, wait a minute. This is going to be very interesting. Bear with me. I can't see where the, okay. Oh, I think I went too far. All right. Um, this topic is focused on language. As you can see on the handout I gave you, I'm going to be talking about a legacy letter. I'm also going to be talking about how to deal with feelings that are deeper inside that we spend a lot of time avoiding. And uh, then I'm going to do a group exercise for all of us because one of the conversations I've had both with uh, communicating with the board, but also that's kind of generally known, most of us don't like dealing with our feelings. So on your handout, you'll see information on the legacy letter, everything. I put down a whole bunch of resources there for you to be able to develop a legacy letter. This is something that is not a legal document. It is something that you want to access and give yourself an opportunity to write out for not only your children and your grandchildren, but generations down the road that haven't been brought to forth yet. So it has the majority of the information needed, what it is, what the process is, what you'd like to leave for your family and friends as far as your thoughts. As well, on the handout are some legal terms and personal resources that you can use. I shared language, verbs, and descriptors for the purpose of those who have left the NED arena. NED, no evidence of disease. Some people hear something that they don't expect to in sitting in the doctor's office, and then it's a long time waiting, and that's the purpose behind this talk. What do we do with that time? Language helps us move beyond denial. Denial. It's fun to joke about denial, but when we're in a conference like this, this is the time that we cannot be doing denial. I'm getting all goose pimples. I'll talk for about 10 to 12 minutes about being in the waiting room, uh, the next scan, the suspicious spot, you know the drill, and then we'll do an activity together. I didn't plan on having things in my hands, sorry. Okay, so on the legacy letter. Um, there, it's a 3,500-year tradition. As I said, it's not a legal document. It is something that can go with your legal papers or your personal um, 
So the focus is being coming from your heart. And so as you sit down and work on a document that you would like to leave for your family, what it can be is a voice recording, an article, a document, a book, life stories. Ways to accomplish it is sentence stems. The, an example is, one thing I'm proud of, ABC, or one thing I regret. Don't spend a lot of time there. Something dumb I did. I've done a few myself. And what I learned from that dumb activity, don't do it again. Lessons, being a good neighbor, paid off by whatever it might be. We have a very tight-knit group. I really feel that our neighbors are very important. So um, as well, volunteering in my church allowed me to meet XYZ. Values. I'm referencing values because, again, this is something that you want to pass on, that you've learned what values have been a compass in your life and how they've helped you decide, make decisions that you needed to use in order to utilize your insights. Incidents in your life. For us, where I live, um, as many of you know that we're in Orlando, um, campfire had happened like less than a week before. So those are big events. Um, a, a freeway accident, uh, things I used to do with my kids. Disappointments. Again, these are things that you want to write about. I never adopted a child. Or um, I never won the lottery and what that was. I would encourage you, in order to get the document done, because you are literally going upstream trying to write a document is to um, identify some other OMIs that would also like to produce this legacy letter who will kind of hold you to the task or enter a writer's group. Because sitting, I'll tell you now, sitting at my dining room table, I'm working on a big project about my family stuff, and I get lost in the details. I'm like, oh, I don't remember that. Or, oh, this is funny. I should tell them about this. The opportunity to work together will bring you closer to whoever it is that you're working with. That's the blessing. Other ways to accomplish this, have a video made. Make a video with the person. Identify what's important in your family history. Um, a project that I'm working on is how to identify the characteristics that I've learned have been passed down to me who helped make me be who Anne Osborne is, and that I think would be a value to future generations so that they don't have to repeat the same stuff I did. I think I had an earlier conversation. I was an older adult when I went back to school, and there were a lot of reasons for that, but it could have been shortened had I had some wise college counselor to tell me, you know, you really can do this. Um, other ways are pictures, Scrapbooks, including family recipes. People really do want to know those recipes. Poetry, art and jewelry, a friendship garden. It's important that it's upbeat. So when you've got a draft and you're practicing writing out your sentences to make paragraphs, to make the story come together, read it aloud so that you can hear your own voice and hear the upbeat tone, because that's what you want in your pass on. It's not about the squabbles. And wisdoms I've learned. 
For me, it's kind of a funny one about not driving faster than my angels can carry me. Not my quote, but you know where I got it. Okay, so this is waiting in the waiting room, how to decipher feelings. I was just speaking a few minutes ago about um, having attended a uh, training on geophysics on gardening and water. In Northern California, all of California, we know we are literally 64% in a drought for the entire state. Some cities don't even have water. So I'm like, oh my God. So I thought, oh, that's like our subterranean feelings that we know that they're there, but we really don't know how to access them. So how this came about was, um, I gotta be sure I'm telling the right story. Oh, good. I'm glad I looked. Okay, so um, during COVID, Melody had asked me to come and speak on Zoom in a meeting for the METS group, the metastasis. And I said, oh, that's fine. Sure, no problem. So I put some things together, and I'm doodling along, and I'm speaking, and all of a sudden, I'm, my body feels like I need to get out of that room now. I could not get off that call fast enough. And I had no idea what was going on. It wasn't like this where I'm talking to all of you and, you know, it was just like my body, I literally wanted to run out of the room. And I hope I handled myself well enough as I got off the phone call. In therapy world, that's called countertransference. It's an alert to say, uh-oh, something's adrift. You better figure it out. So I know that when stuff is going on like that, it's really important for me to take my time and just allow my body to give me the information. And so what I've learned is that those feelings were like in a jar that I had put up on the shelf when I was 17 and 18. It was really hard to watch my mom go through what she did. And that was 40 years ago with OM. So the idea of what they have for treatment now is way different, and I have to be able to separate that. What I came to realize as I dropped my awareness into my body, clue, out of my head and making meaning of my thoughts, is that the, it was a whole bunch of unprocessed grief that I had locked up because I'm a young adult. I'm trying to, like, go to college. I'm trying to, like, help with a funeral, that kind of stuff. And I can't afford to deal with those feelings at the time. They came back 40 years later. I'm here to guarantee Y'all have the same thing going on, too. There are subterranean feelings that are important to let you know that they've also got gifts. It's not all bad. And so once I was able to kind of drop out of my thinking about it, making any meaning out of it, over time what happens, and I'm fortunate because it's just a few days, to just observe your body kind of get an idea of what the feelings might be, as well realizing that, oh, I had this kid thought that it was my fault that she died. Even though she's eight, I'm 18 at that time, I still thought I could save her, because who wants their parent to die, right? Even if we do have mixed feelings. So the long and short of it, I was able to 
figure that piece out. And I was able to also talk about it with my husband, who gave me that, that visual back and forth that my feelings mattered and that they were acknowledged. And it didn't matter that they were 40-year-old feelings. So I also took the opportunity to put together this presentation. I read an article. I'm suggesting who the, the author who gets credit. I've never read her book. I am saying her name and the name of her book that's coming out right now only because she's the person that kind of put my thoughts together. So um, I don't know who she is. Her name is uh, Sandra Parker, and she wrote a book called Embracing Unrest, and like I said, it's coming out this month. Basically, it's about the vulnerable moments when we're in the waiting room that we really, so I assume you all know what the waiting room is. It isn't just when I've put the gowns on and I've written about that in that book. It isn't just sitting out in the lobby. It's also those private moments when you realize, oh, there's stuff looming in front of me that I have yet to face. Soothing the feelings of uncertainty. Again, I got too many things in my hands. So being able to put your hand on, on your heart, being able to put your hand to your throat, being able to kind of soften that furrowing brow that I have. You know, that's where my tension is. A lot of us hold it in our jaws. So <clears throat> identifying what the feelings are about the loss and the grief, or sooner what is coming, and about the truth and what it is that I have to get to means that I have less suffering also. That's my drill in my world. The sooner I get to accepting the truth and all the variations of the truth, whatever that is, I have less suffering. I spend less time in all stirred up. So avoidance, <clears throat> this is an important piece for us. Avoidance is the heart of anxiety and depression. So facing what's really going on is the goal, not only in the talk, but breathe into those ideas. The brain sends us messages to interpret what those physical sensations are. Some of you have heard me in other talks talk about, you know, you can probably imagine right now, my heart rate is like pitter-patter, pitter-patter, and my breath is slow, and I'm kind of leaning forward. These are physical ways that we stop our feelings. So it's very important to not only put your hand on your belly or wherever it is that you're feeling anxious about, but also sit back, raise the back of your neck up, so that you're opening up and allowing that diaphragm to oxygenate the rest of your body. That way, your body knows, oh, just because you're feeling all these things does not mean a lion really is in the room. Because if you don't calm yourself, it continues to escalate, or you shut down, because that's the body's way of taking care of us. So it can be excitement. It can be danger. Um, the buzzy sensations. Uh, in other talks, I've talked about a client uh, right before she was discharged who I worked with that came in with an anxiety disorder, and I played cards with her um, on the last session. And I got her all ramped up. You know, oh, look, you got the right card. It's going to work. And she started shallow breathing and getting overly excited and starting to lean over. And I said, is that what you feel when you get anxious? And she was like, yeah. 
but you're excited now. Oh, so it's the idea about being able to stay with the sensations, not make meaning out of that, because that's when we're going back up into our heads and we're abandoning our body. Okay, so staying with it increases our awareness, being curious and observant. Those are the two words that are so important so that we can allow ourselves to process other ways of making meaning. Catastrophizing and making stories keeps us in our head and outside of our body. So it's really, really important. Don't be the, the doom scroller. Don't distract yourself with lots of stories because A, as we all know, nine times out of 10, this stuff never happens. I read last night that if we spend five minutes amping ourselves up, it lasts in our body, in our immune system, for one to two hours. That's not good. That's sending adrenaline, cortisol, bad stuff. So it's also important not to be doom scrolling, watching TV for long periods of time and not responding and answering and being part of the family and the responsibilities in your life. Compartmentalizing, I'm an ace at compartmentalizing. It's important for me to not be spending a lot of time researching because I love to research. I love to look stuff up, to figure stuff out. But what that's doing is taking me away from being present. The final one on that piece is denying vulnerability. Embrace the discomfort, the truth of what you need lies within. It's about connection to self and connection to others. Feel where the sensations end and then where they begin. The critical piece is looking for a part of your body that isn't experiencing the stuff. It could be your legs, your thighs, your calves. What that's doing is then helping you learn how to be observant without getting caught up in it. Okay, so i got to turn a page again. The here and now moment, making contact with your body. Practice enhancing your awareness of what I've been talking about, identifying what the inner channel of feelings are. When you put your hand on whatever part you're trying to calm down, that's telling you where the feelings and messages are. Have compassion and patience for yourself. This is, I spent a lot of time before I ever got diagnosed, really coming to understand that we have younger emotional parts of ourselves that don't think like adults do, and they're holding the fears. They're, you know, it's like um, what I started to do before I got here, I started thinking, well, what have you got to say? Why would anybody want to listen to you? And I'm like, um, that's a little kid part of me. Not necessary right now. Not helpful. Let me manage it. So being curious about the um, sensations. So assuring ourselves that we can do this. Here's another one of Dr. Parker's ideas, which I thought was awesome. OK, so this is what I'm going to do the next time I have to. My next scans are December. And so a couple of days before I have to go for my next scans, I'm going to do this activity that she suggested. And that is to get your video 
uh, on your camera, on your phone, and sit down with yourself, by yourself, and tell the camera that you want to be sure that your head is in it and the upper part of your body. Then tell all the fears and details of what it is that you're really afraid of. What you're doing is videotaping your process. Turn it off, then play it back. And what you're looking for are the parts of your body. So for me, it would be curling my shoulders forward, dropping down and blocking off that diaphragm, and I need to sit back. I want to actually know what I'm doing to kind of shut down those feelings so that I can not do it. So that when someone that I trust is with me, I can actually share with them knowing full well that I don't need to be afraid of my feelings. So am I holding my breath? So many of you have heard me talk about, it's called clavicle breathing. It's where uh, we're breathing right up here. A lot of people with high anxiety breathe just up here. Our lungs literally, the muscles of the lungs go all the way up to the bones up here. We want to be able to breathe all the way down to our belly. So that if, if I'm doing this, I'm blocking my feelings. So the other idea that Parker had come up was making a sacred vow, those are her words, for I do. And what it is is identify, describe, and observe what the physical sensations and feelings are. Use lots of adjectives. The more that you can get into describing the sensations, again, you're underscoring learning how to get a little distance from the feelings that you're experiencing. It's like a science person. You know, what's really being seen there? What that does is it helps you get some distance from being overwhelmed yourself. What I really liked what she said in doing that is you're letting go, and it's only letting go about 20%. Don't go to 25. Don't go to 70. Just a little bit. And what you'll begin to notice is, oh, that wasn't so bad. I can do this. All right. So I'm going to underscore that vulnerability is our strength, and it helps us grow. It's your friend and not to be avoided. I need to be an octopus. Soothe the unrest in your body, the waves of the emotions, like, you know, I thought of clay this morning when I was uh, thinking about the waves on, coming on the beach when he's out there sitting in the ocean. He's on a surfboard, by the way. These waves carry us into deeper physical emotions, accessing and expanding the gifts and capacities, strengthens our immune system. And what we're going to do as an activity is um, I counted off. There's about 40 people in this room, and I didn't know how this was going to be set up. We have an option. We can either, it would be ideal if y'all would take 30 seconds and go sit at a different table and not be with people that you know. Because I have a question that I want you to answer with a group of people that you don't know. It doesn't have to be difficult. It's a lot better than me counting you off and then mixing them all up. So could you just look across the room, 
take 30 seconds and go sit somewhere else. You won't need paper and pencil. Nothing magic is going to happen. And then at this time is when I'm going to assure you that whatever you talk about is not going to be videotaped. It's not going to be open to anybody else. These are your private thoughts. So jump up. And remember, I'm on stage. So the couple over there needs to break up. It doesn't matter if you're with care providers or a patient. Y'all are doing a great job. Splitting up. You guys get brownie points. Okay, so I'm going to suggest that we find a seat. We're going to take about 20 minutes. This is great. This is great. Thank you so much. <clears throat> so what we're all doing, <clears throat> excuse me, is when after you've introduced yourself, you're taking a moment and I'm asking you to consider this question. And what we're going to do is ask you to save it. Um, I would like you to identify someone in your on your table, around your table, to uh, be the person who's going to speak for the group. I'm asking at the other end, after we've done this discussion inside, that you're going to take the gist of what was discussed at your table, what came up for you, so that I can write some of it on the paper at the other end of this. And we're going to take about 10 minutes, and someone's going to be my timekeeper. So. So what is something I am most afraid of or I have not told anyone about on this journey? And I'd like every single person at your table to just come up with one thing. It doesn't have to be the deepest and darkest, but I would like you to reveal something that nobody else would know about. It is confidential. So take 10 minutes. Those folks in Zoom land, it would be really helpful. I'm sorry, I know it's not Zoom land, it's something else. But it would be very helpful if you would write it down yourself. Write it on a piece of paper, something that nobody else knows about. Something that um, you can be assured that if they really knew your vulnerability, you'd be OK. So I'm going to stop talking so y'all can focus. Okay, folks, your identified person at each table, I'm going to go one by one by one, and I'm going to ask you to say what it is that the gist of what you learned that you were, the table was most afraid of or haven't told anybody. Okay. Could we have it quiet, please? Thank you. Band's ready. I know. 
Okay, folks, each person that's identified at your table, please put in one to two sentences. I'm gonna write it down, and Melody is going to walk to each table and ask the person to say what the gist is that you learned about yourself, the journey, the fear, you haven't told anybody. So we came up with um, a few different things in, in, uh, in our table. Uh, one of the things was unfinished business with the, with the family, not having taken care of uh, um, things with you know your spouse or kids and um, so that's something that we brought up another was change in medical status when everything's been going good for so long knowing that you might get a, a some bad news at your next uh, doctor's appointment one more So pick your top three for each table. We're on a time limit, sorry folks. Yeah, loss of family member. Okay, the first one was dying. Um, that was the first fear. And, okay, um, dying and then I mean, we had a bunch of them, but um, let's see. Um, just unknown with small children. Yeah. Um, also, lack of understanding of ongoing dealing with the disease. Yeah. Julie? Yes, okay. So Julie's gonna give the microphone to Julie. Okay, so I'll stand up so y'all can see me. They nominated me because I wrote stuff down. So, um, top I three. I always get nominated. Well, let me just first say we have three mom patients at the table and two spouses, just so you know what the pool of people is, are. Um, none of us have anything we haven't told anybody. Like, we all have what I call diarrhea of the mouth. We speak about it, which I think is a good thing. So the top three things of most afraid of, um, not having a legacy, want to be remembered for something or in a positive way for your family, and then how it's affecting um, your children and your family. And that's basically, do we have another one? That's the two I wrote down. So I don't have a third one because we talked a lot about um, the, you know, because we, we don't know each other that well. So we had to kind of get to know each other a had little bit. Had to be bit more honest. First, before we started. But, you know, looking for what that second part was really hard. What's something that we haven't told anybody? And yeah. really, for the three of us, there isn't anything. But I could see where there could be for people. Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, well, our, fear, our, our three big ones that really stuck out were uh, really having a fear of the unknown and, and knowing what the next steps of the process were. Um, 
not being able to follow our, our passions or some of the things that we had been able to do before, feeling like we weren't able to uh, continue the passions. And, uh, and, and really just continuing life as, uh, as normal, quote unquote, or, or what we had thought we had considered normal before in uh, learning to live with this just moving forward. And do you want me to pull from any of the middle tables here? I'm sorry? Um, are we going through all the tables? I'm just getting some clarification. We're trying. Okay, perfect. Um, do you want me to bounce over to one of these middle tables? Yes, please. Who's our spokesperson over here? Do you guys have a designated spokesperson? All right, Teresa. I was a designated by Wink here who said couldn't, she couldn't remember my name three minutes later, and she did 10 minutes later. Um, as a support person, my biggest, I spoke about my biggest fear is not being there to support my fiance in the way that she needs. Um, we talked about, one lady brought up the trust in the medical field. There it's huge. And the unknown. And the unknown. Thank you so much. Okay. There you go. Hello. Um, our table had two different groups basically. So our group was talking about survivorship and not getting to watch your kids grow up. Mm. It's a big one. And uh, another was the fear of the unknown and long-term scanxiety. I go into it a month ahead of time, but by the time I go get my results, I'm calm as a cucumber. And then I'm gonna pass the microphone over to Delinda who has something for her group. <laughs> Alan and I talked about um, the lack of understanding from our family members mm -hmm. about what we go through and what our thought process is. Um, we also talked about anger a little bit. And then we talked about preparing for, I did, funerals. I paid for my funeral already. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, right. And anything you want to add to that? I mean, like some of the cl clumsiness that is involved with our diagnosis now mm -hmm. and falling and just random things like that. Thank you. Hi. Um, I'm not going to name the ones that are already up there. Super. Because um, we have a lot of overlap. Anger was one. Um, disbelief. What? There's no way. Right. Shock. Right. Um, having been happy... For the first time in a long time, you feel shortchanged. Yeah. Others don't understand. And then fear of not getting the medical care that you need, not being able to access that. So I actually have somebody from online virtually that chimed in Perfect. over here, right here. Yes, thank you. And um, her comment was guilt on being dependent of others. Excellent. Guilt on passing this to our children. Those were the two things that they mentioned. Thank you so much. That's a very important one. Yes. Well, we um, had many of the exact same issues pop up. There are a couple that seem to be, in my mind, I don't have Voxer melanoma. I'm with a family member. But sadness is certainly... Uh, prevalent at this table for all the reasons you pretty much explained on the other side. Exactly. There are a lot of family issues that are uh, unaddressed. 
that we, we discussed. Uh, <clears throat> and then the uh, disruption, you know, connections with some of those family members. Some of them brought families closer together. Some of them are splitting apart. Thank you so much. In case anybody didn't hear the very last part, that it's either pulling people closer together this whole process or breaking them apart, which is devastating. So thank you so much for being so brave, even out in Zoom land. I don't know what else to call it. Um, the idea that we take a few minutes to be able to talk to people that we don't know, we're much more likely to open up and say what our truth is than we are amongst our family members. That's part of the blocking, denial, because a lot of, I'll, well, nobody said it actually, is I don't want to burden somebody. So I heard a right in there, but yes. So the whole point of this was for you to also be able to see that your feelings are acknowledged by other people as well. So I appreciate very much that you were able to um, participate in this. Is there anything else? Oh, Dylan, did you have a mic? Okay. Alan and I both uh, talked about living your best life going forward from the BX. So that's, I think that's the route that we've chosen. I like to laugh. I've always liked to laugh. So I try to put a fun spin on things. And I'll crack jokes about one-eyed people while I'm here. So please don't get offended. But, uh, you know, you got to live your best life. I love that. Thank you, Delinda. So, Anne, I think just like you said, just to kind of wrap up, um, I, is it okay if I kind of wrap us up a little bit? Um, but I, I loved this exercise. No, that's okay. Oh, my apologies. What do you think? Was this, was this talk and was this presentation worth it for people? Okay. Thank you. It, I really needed to know in part because I made it up. And I wasn't sure, because this stuff is not written. There are no research papers. There are no clinical trials saying, how do you really feel about this? And so the opportunity for us to talk to people that we don't know, please continue to avail yourselves. There are opportunities in our communities where you can call anonymously and talk to people, do it. Because what you're doing every time you let down, you're able to be able to manage your immune system for one, which I think is the star in all of this, but also then you're not doing what I did several weeks ago, stood in the living or the laundry room and I stomped my feet and I yelled as loud as I could because of a problem with the laundry room, right? I mean, it's like, this is not like me. So please take care of yourselves. Please recognize that unfinished business can be finished, that people are available to answer questions about the process. Um, I'm working with Melody on developing a tool after this conference to be able to expedite 
people's learning because this is like learning to run as fast as you can. So thank you very, very much for everything. Thank you so much for joining us today on the I Believe podcast, brought to you by Castle Biosciences. Please be sure to subscribe, and if you're so inclined, send this episode over to friends, family, and share on your social media to help spread awareness around OM. If you have a moment, leave us a brief review or consider making a donation to the links in the show notes to keep our podcast going. Feel free to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Insight. We'll see you next time on the I Believe podcast.